other than that, how's it going, man? Uh, you know, man, I've just been uh, dealing with a Kickstarter. Um, it's been great. I mean, uh, I feel like I've been doing so much with a Kickstarter that I can't concentrate at my actual job. Like I go to work and I'm like, oh man, I don't want to do anything. And then I'd rather just go like online and check the Kickstarter and then like do a couple of like promotional ads for Instagram and then to post on Twitter and this and that and that. Then I'm done with all that. I'm like, I guess I got to work now. Like it's, it's, it's real hard, man. I don't want to work. That's crazy. I always want to, I always want to learn the science of Kickstarters because I see people that run successful Kickstarters. And then I see people that can't get their fucking Kickstarter kickstarted, which is funny. What, what do you, what do you do? Or does uh, Mark have you guys like in like Kickstarter training camp, like boot camp or something? What, what do you guys um, do? I don't know if it's so much like a training camp, boot camp, because I feel like we're all figuring it out as we go along. But like Mark and LKC have done enough Kickstarters to where Mark is a pretty good source of uh, advice and information um, as okay. to like when things should be done, how often you should post and uh, who you should try to contact, you know, um, I mean, definitely when I, I ran a Kickstarter two, three years ago for one of my books that, that was not under lesser known comics and it didn't make it. And, um, I, I really kind of, I had a kind of a lofty goal, but uh, I also didn't really, couldn't really figure out why I thought I did everything I could. Then when I ran one, uh, with lesser known comics, uh, in partnership with lesser known comics, Mark was basically hooking me up with like podcasts and, and telling me when to post and kind of guiding me through it. And that one succeeded. So there is a uh, somewhat of a formula, but really it's also like a crapshoot. Like um, you could be expecting very high numbers off the bat and it could be kind of slow. You know, it just depends on like, yeah. Have people been paid that week? You know, maybe they haven't, you know, I've had a lot of people tell me like, Hey, I want to, but I, I just waiting for uh Friday, you know, or, or something like that. And okay. I just got to keep bugging them, you know, and, and really, it's about how many people you bug. You bug everybody you know and bug everybody you don't know. And you got to get over that sort of awkwardness of, like, talking to someone, trying to sell them on something, you know? Yeah. All right. Cool. Cool. No, that that that's a good um good perspective to have. And, and, and like I said, I'm always wondering that shit. It's like, you know, obviously, I, I'm always mentioning that I'm starting my own project. And it's like, do I do a Kickstarter with it? Do I not? And obviously... I'm in like early stages for that shit, but I see like Nami where he's like, yo, fuck a Kickstarter for issue two. It's like his shit is already massive. Like he's been blowing up on TikTok and just so many shit. But then I have other people that mainly create and fund their project off Kickstarter. And then everything that's sold after that is gravy, is profit. So it's just cool to 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 see the science of it. And um, you too, what's going on? Um, you know, I forgot to introduce this, but today. We have an awesome guest. We have Ray Garza. He is the creator of Tank McGregor. It's under Lesser Known Comics. Uh, round of applause, man. Round of applause. There we go. There we go. We got space bounty hunters, robots, all kind of shit. I like it. Look at that. Super girthy. I got up to the part where, and I don't want to spoil it for people, but where that prostitute robot met all of the other robots. I got right up to that part. You have, I, I love projects that have the, I guess, like art style that is like attractable to like kids. It's like that Saturday morning cartoon, but it's like adult theme. It's like Family Guy, Futurama, fucking uh, Rick and Morty, like all of that shit. So um, tell me, man, what influenced you to create this project? Oh, man. Um, so. 
I don't even know. Like, I feel like I've always been drawing my whole life. I've been doodling and um, being pretty artsy when it comes to like drawing. And um, but my path in life led me more towards film and filmmaking. That's where I majored in, and that's the the career that I was uh, chasing. And after a while, um, I, I managed to do a couple of short films and a feature film, and I worked on some productions. But after a while, it just became harder and harder to get a film off the ground and to have a whole crew basically believe in your vision and trying to get people like, hey, let's make this movie. It's going to be cool, but I can't pay you, you know, but it's going to look good for your portfolio. I just got tired of doing that whole hustle, you know. And uh, but I, so I, I became slower and harder to do and I just wasn't doing it anymore. And I was feeling very creatively bankrupt uh, or not bankrupt, but like dry. I just wasn't getting it out creatively. Um, and anyway, like that mentally bankrupt. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, but I still wanted to, you know, tell stories and be creative. So I reverted back to drawing and I started, I took this, uh, little 15 page script that I had, uh, back in the day that I wrote a long time ago and I wrote it as an animation and it was Tank McGregor. And I just decided to just make it into sequential art and little by little, I just started drawing it and making it into a book. And I wasn't really intending to make it a comic book. I wasn't intending to finish it. It was just something I was doing on my off time, uh, on my hobby, you know, whenever I feel like uh, tired or whatever, I just go and draw a little bit. And that's why it took so long to make. But after a while, I just had a completed book and I decided to just then have someone color it. And I got it colored. Then I got it printed. And suddenly I have all these things. And then I got the attention of lesser known comics and they were great, uh, good enough to publish it for me. Um, and now, right now, I'm now on my second book, you know, this is a book two. Uh, Tank McGregor and the Cosmic Colossus is something that took only only two and a half years to make, as opposed to five years that the other <laughs> one took. Um, but yeah, and it's like the continuation. It's like a grander sci-fi adventure. Having finished the first one made me realize that I can do this. That I, it's something that is doable, and not only doable, but it's yeah. well received and fun, and people want more. Um, at least the people who yeah. read the first one want more. So, so it's a huge inspiration to, and a good morale booster to continue and do another one. So six years, five years after this whole endeavor started, I have two books now, man. And I, I, I want to keep going. You got to pop your cherry on the first one, man. That, that, that's the toughest one, man. That first one, it's like, you don't even believe that you can actually do it even while you're doing it. And I guess that could be for anything. But once you get that first one down, I, I would imagine that everything else is kind of like easy peasy. Obviously, there's going to be hiccups in the road all the time, but mental wise. Yeah, man. It's like I said, like I didn't know, like I wasn't planning on making a book. So I wasn't really, my own brain wasn't stopping me and how uh, daunting the whole task was because it wasn't something that I was going to finish ever, you know, but it, you just keep doing it and organically it had an ending. And again, I had no pressure to release it. I was just kind of having fun, you know, the second one, I did have some pressure to finish something, but I, but like you said, it, it just became easier. Cause it's like, I did it once, but I was so bad. Let's do it again. Boom. How'd you get, how'd you get on uh, Mark's radar or lesser known comics radar? Um, I, I had just finished my first book and I was starting it, starting to promote it any way I could on my Instagram, on, on Twitter, on Facebook, my friends, you know, I just posting little bits and, bits and pieces here and there. And I ran into a, an ad. I don't know if it was an ad. It was more of a post that lesser known comics did. And all it said was uh, lesser known comics, treating artists like humans since 2020 or something like that. And I liked that motto. I was like, Oh, that's pretty cool. I wonder who they are. 
and I went to their website. Yeah. I saw they had a, a couple of books, you know, I saw what they were kind of doing. I decided to reach out and I reached out to the only name that I saw, of, I think it was whoever posted that post. I reached out to them and they never got back to me and I waited like two weeks and then I reached out again and I did a little more sleuthing and I saw, I ran into like Mark's name somehow. I, I, I saw like the, web, the website, like the people who work at the, at the company and I saw that Mark was like the top one. I'm like, I gotta email this guy and I emailed him and then I emailed him like twice more and then he finally got back to me. And basically I was just like, hey, I like what you guys are about. I have a book, what can I do to get it in your hands? And he basically was just like, send it over and I'll read it. And I sent it over and like, I wanna say like within the week I was on the phone with him and we were just chatting and shooting the shit. He's a cool guy. Definitely super chill, man. I, I like that. I like when it's like smooth. It's not like you had to fly all the way to freaking DC where Mark lives and knock on his door. It's like, yo, I just sent two emails and yeah, with like a backpack and shit. Yeah, right? that that's awesome. I think about all the people that hit me up in my DMs. That uh, like, I my DMs are flooded. It's like I can't get to everything. It's like mentally draining. It's not that people don't want to. Or at least for myself, it's not that I don't want to read people's projects. It's like, yo, I can't fucking get to everything. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll have people that have reached out to me like months ago. And it's like, yo, I know I planned on reading this, but I just can't because snowball effect on my other areas are rolling in. It's like, hey, I I, I um have been – actually, Mark has been uh busting my chops to read one of his projects for so long and I couldn't like get to it. And then I forgot what happened, but I was like, all right, let me check out. Oh, I know what happened. I was on live and I was like, you know what? Let me pick out lesser known comics. And then I picked out a bunch of different stuff. And me and Lonzo with Concrete and uh, Onaji, we were picking out. I was like, yo, you're going to rate these projects. Pick one for me to review. And I ended up reviewing like all of them. I was like, fuck it. And one of them was Digital Lizards of Doom. So then I reviewed it. Yeah, and then um, I hit up Mark. I was like, yo, this project is, is unique. It's not like a regular comic book series. And then we would just been chatting, and he told he been telling me about all of the creators, all of the stories, but he told me about Tank McGregor. He sent me the, I guess, the promo ad that you guys made for Instagram Reels or TikTok, and I, I don't know if you used it for the Kickstarter. But I was like, all right, I got to check this out. I mean, Space, Bounty Hunters, it's like oh, all of that stuff is like right up my alley. Which one? Which video was it? The one where like the guy in his apartment, he's reading it, and it's like an yes, old, old yes. 1940s like, announcer? Yep. That's yeah, exactly yeah, that's the one I made for the Kickstarter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. You you have a lot of influences from. Did you grow up in the eighties or the nineties? I grew up in the nineties. I was born in eighty five, so I, okay. I guess like a little bit of both. But really, the eighties, I have very very little uh, memory of growing up in the eighties. You know. Okay, and it's weird that you say that because I I was born in eighty nine, but I have a ton of different memories from the nineties. Oh, okay. so I don't consider myself a 2000s. I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, but I get what you mean, though. Like, I mean, I technically do have memories of like the those 80s uh, years, the 80 through, I mean, probably more like 89 and 88. Um, like, I remember movies and stuff like that. But I feel like my my injection of pop culture didn't start until like the 90s, you know, um, when I started being able yeah. to uh, see more television. And in fact, when I learned English is when like the injection of pop culture really started coming in to my uh, program. Okay. I, I was going to ask one of those questions, Garza, that wh where, where is that from? Where, where's your family from? 
Mexico. So I was born and raised in Mexico, uh, but right on the border with Texas. So I grew up bilingual. And uh, where I'm from, it's basically, um, I was on the Mexican side, but it's basically one giant city with the American side, just separated by a river. So I lived in Mexico, but I go across the bridge and study every day in the U.S. And we did that for like uh, the first 18 years of my life. When I was 18, we uh, basically got our immigration papers and we kind of moved just across the river. I guess that shit was like super easy to do it back then, right? To just cross back and forth. I mean, it seemed easy to me. I, my parents probably were having a hell of a time with like paperwork and shit. But like to me, it was always like, oh, yeah, I always had a passport, you know? Um and yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I also have memories that, of like, and it was way more lax. Yeah, because I had a, I had a family who had like a land uh, right on the river, like a ranch right on the river. And mm-hmm. I have memories of like playing with my cousins crossing the river, like just to the U.S., like, just, like swimming over and then swimming back and swimming over, swimming back. Like, it's like, wow, I feel like either it was a lot more chill back then or there was like some border patrol like just keeping in his eye on us you know with like a fucking sniper rifle or some way making sure we didn't like go any further in or something you know i'm gonna i mean i'm gonna chalk it up that maybe it was just easy just easier just because it was back then because now on the news they make it seem like oh the border and there's walls and and snipers and and there's underground railroads to get in here it's like i have some friends that are from columbia um, just like different areas that actually kind of like just migrated here and crossed the border, and they have crazy stories, but nothing that was like you know you just make it seem like it, it was so simple. Obviously, that's your reality, but yeah, I mean exactly, and I, I don't know what someone else's reality is. Maybe it, maybe it was a lot harder um, for other people, and maybe it was because we weren't really like going in there to like work. I mean, we weren't crossing the like, yeah. we weren't going, we weren't going to, like deeper into the into the country. We were just kind of like playing around in that area, you know, but I've had instances where I, I've been hanging out with my friends and I see like families like crossing over with like uh, bags and shit. It's like, Oh wow. Good luck to them. I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it just has to do with the, the, the opportunity here, man. It's like, and especially now it's like, think about it. You can create your own indie comic and I, it's tough to obviously, you know, we have like the big players like DC and Marvel, but for the most part, it's it's like, yeah, it's indie, but at the same time, it's like you could build up your following and still be indie. Um, so it's just cool that, you know, coming here, using the opportunity and just kind of living out your dream, man. That's dope. What, um, yeah. What's something from the 90s? And I, I, I actually shot a review for Tank McGregor that I'm editing right now. Oh shit! What's like, yeah? What's different stuff from the '90s that influenced the characters, the setting, like everything? Um. Well, the character of Tank McGregor is like an amalgamation of all the like '80s and '90s action stars that I loved: uh, Van Damme, Stallone, Schwarzenegger. You know the classics. Um, to a lesser extent, I mentioned Stallone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's like to a lesser extent. Kind of reminds uh, me of, of of like RoboCop and Judge Dredd, like with the mask. Yeah, man. Like he was meant to be like a mix of both of those, actually. Judge Dredd, especially because he'll never take off his mask. And I'm like, that's going to be a like Judge Dredd thing. And initially, he was even more RoboCop y. The actual visor, though, I, I changed so many times. Yeah, I did so many iterations because I just wasn't happy with it. I didn't like the way it looked. It, didn't, it was either too complicated or too simple or just not iconic enough. Um, eventually I, one night I was watching Johnny Mnemonic. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of that movie. 
Johnny Mnemonic with oh, uh, I never heard of that. with uh, with Keanu Reeves, and it's like a cyberpunk '90s movie. Uh, and at one point, he okay. puts on like a VR headset, and he puts on this like thing, and it looks like that. It's basically that's where I got it from. He, it's like the Tangmerberger visor. I was like, that's what it is. I'm gonna use that, and I basically just kept it like that. Yeah, shit. It, it's simple. It's simple, and it doesn't. It's not like too overpowering. Like sometimes with Judge Dredd, it's like all I remember is his mask. Like I don't even remember the storyline and everything. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, exactly. I like um, that. Um, I like that he has like the leather, like Fonzie jacket. Obviously, <laughs> he uses guns. That's obviously. that's super dope. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, exactly. It. That's another '90s thing. I mean, just the whole like uh, shoot first, ask questions later is a thing that was really popular in the '90s. I feel like what Marvel mm-hmm. movies are today, action movies were in the '90s. That's what everybody was like. That's that. Those were the movies that were making the money. You know, and yeah. it didn't matter how big budget you were, if you were an action movie, people were gonna go watch it and bank. Van Damme was a bankable star, you know, like, I don't think you see that nowadays where you can get a star who's bankable just based on his, like, karate skills, you know? Um, I would say The Rock is up there. But The Rock? Say, not, not that he has, not that he has karate skills, but as far as, like, the action superhero type of trope, The Rock, that I would put him up there. yeah. I guess you're you're right. No, yeah, because he's mainly more about charisma. But I would argue that The Rock actually does have some acting chops. At least in the beginning of his career, he used to take more risks. Now he just plays The Rock and everything. Um, but uh, <laughs> he, I mean, he was in Be Cool, and uh, he did a, a Southside Tales, uh, whatever that movie's called. Like he 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 took some risks, and he was actually exploring his art, his uh, acting skills. Now he is more just about you know the face. Yeah, I just recently um just rewatched it for the hell of it. I rewatched Predator One, Predator Two, Terminator One, and Terminator Two. Those movies were freaking amazing. Which is your favorite amazing. out of all of them? Though? Out of all of them, yeah, Terminator Two, Judgment. Oof, nice. Yes, that's that's probably one of my favorite movies. It got to be at least top top 15 on my list of favorite movies. I mean, it's the not way, just good. the way that it's shot. What'd you say? It's not just a good sequel. Or it's not even just a good Terminator. It's a good fucking movie, like, in general. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a good action movie. One of the best action movies ever made. I think I, think I saw Terminator 2 before I saw Terminator 1. Same. So, obviously you could see the huge difference between the movies like terminator 2 is way more elevated than terminator 1 is terminator 1 is like a classic beginning stage like 80s movie but then when you get the terminator 2 that's where it's like box office like oh this is going to make money in like the actual movies yeah just everything from when when uh what's his um uh the kid's name i always forget john connor but when he's like yeah, yeah, John O'Connor when he's like in the arcade and then he's running from the police and then he the uh the the liquid fucking machine is like chasing after him and then he's running in the the back of the the mall which we used to do when we were kids we used to sneak around yeah. and then you see freaking Arnold Schwarzenegger with like the thing of roses and it pops out and it's a shotgun like that scene it always gives me goosebumps. I'm like this is the shit I fucking live for, man. So iconic. Yeah, I also saw uh, Terminator 2 before Terminator 1 and I remember being really like I, back then as a kid, it didn't really even strike me as Terminator 2 would be in a sequel. I just said it was Terminator. Um so then when I found out that it was like there was a, a first one and that he was a bad guy in it, I was kind of confused. I was like, "What? Like in the first one he's a bad guy? I don't understand." Like yeah. and he it, the first one's a horror movie, really more than anything. 
Yeah, yeah, you you could definitely say that. It's on. It, it's pretty much Jason, just a robot. Yeah, from the yeah, future. Like an that's, that's literally a machine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. I even remember and and judgment day when when uh terminator is trying to convince the dude who works for datadon or whatever he's like yo i'm the robot that like you're working on the hand and oh, then like, he cuts his arm open and rips it off i'm like yo this blows my mind the freaking terminator ride at universal studios i don't know if you've been there yeah. i've really ridden that ride like 25 million times <laughs> it sucks that it's gone now but oh my god man i freaking love terminator yeah i wrote it once and never again only because i don't live anywhere near it but like i'll probably uh, <laughs> i mean i have very good memories of that ride for sure it blew my mind and i feel like that scene with the arm the, the metal arm nowadays it'd be cgi you know which yeah, like not to max CGI, there are some really good CGI out there, but something about it being practical and like being done on the set is really badass. Yeah. I feel like practical effects is definitely making its way back, but there's very few people that could do practical effects and CGI well. One person, James Gunn. James mm -hmm. Gunn is phenomenal when it comes to doing things that are practical but then also having CGI, like either or is not overbearing. Yeah, yeah. CGI should just be used to enhance what's there, not to overtake it, um, mm -hmm. which is what Absolutely. a lot of people don't realize or, or even care to do, really. I mean, I, I would say uh, Guillermo del Toro also does a good job of that. And I'm thinking specifically mm -hmm. of like uh, the Hellboy movies. There's a lot of practicality in those movies. Yeah, um, yeah. Is there is there a lot of CGI in Hellboy? I feel like Hellboy is a lot more practical effects. Yeah, yeah, uh, there's a there's a lot more practical effects, and there's but there's there's some CGI. Like whenever, like say, mm -hmm. like the the creatures are all there practically, but if Hellboy were to grab one and like throw them across the room or whatever, it switches to like CGI for like a second, and then like they, they switch back. Yeah. So it's like a mix, you know. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, Hell, Hellboy franchise is good. I feel like it's not getting the the love that it should be getting. I know they're going to revamp it and they're going to have a new person playing Hellboy. Um, I feel like people have stopped caring. I mean, I, there was some excitement when they rebooted it the first time because they're like, oh, someone new. Let's see what happens. It's going to be darker. It's going to be grittier. Oh, yeah. And then it was just one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. So, like, now yeah. they actually already finished filming the, the uh, new one and no one cares. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the things, like, when you're making your project and i ask this to pretty much everybody do you make it just so it's standalone comic or do you make it with the envision like hey down the road this could be animated or this could be a movie i've been told that uh tech mcgregor is pretty well set up to be like an animation and i wasn't thinking of it that way but maybe subconsciously i was because i love animation and i i i, I want to make animation if i had the patience i'd be making animation right now um it's something i want to get into is like the world of animation more beyond just enjoying it on TV. Um, but yeah, no, when I was making the books, they really were just about living on the page. Now, I wasn't envisioning them being a cartoon or anything. Um, and they're self-contained stories. But speaking of Hellboy, I kind of based myself a lot on the way Mignola did the Hellboy books, which is they're all individual cases, right? They're individual adventures. But Hellboy himself is going through an overall journey and like an arc and what happens to him in one book carries over to uh, what happens to him in the second book, you know? So in Tank McGregor oh, yeah. and the Cosmic Colossus, which is the second in the series so far, um, it's a completely new adventure. It's a completely new uh, bounty that he's on. But the character himself remembers everything that happened in the first one. And he's even, he starts off this book 
a big, uh, uh, as a reaction to the stuff that happened in my DM in the first one. Okay. 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 I like that. I like that. I like that. Um, what, so outside of that, what other movies inspired you for, let's say like the space genre. So we got the movies that inspired you for the actual character tank. What about the space genre, the robots, all of that stuff? Um, Dune is what was big when I was writing this. Okay. Uh, um, I wasn't that, exp- um, I guess, yeah, I could see Dune with, like, the desert planets and everything. But I wouldn't go to... I, I feel like, for me, I wouldn't, like, have thought Dune. You, th- you thought Dune? I mean, like... No, I didn't think, I didn't think Dune. I oh, thought, yeah, oh, I, I oh you, didn't, you didn't think Dune. Now, now, I'm talking about Dune, like, the David Lynch version in the book. Because the Dune movie mm-hmm. that's popular right now um, didn't exist when I made when I made Tank McGregor. Okay. So... I, wa- uh, I watched the original Dune. I like the original Dune. Yeah, I like it, but not for the reasons that you would think. I like it for how bad it is. Uh, I, I really enjoy watching okay. the movie. Kind of hate watching it, and and how like oh my god! But like I read the book like twice. Did you? When when did you first see it? And did you think it was bad like back then, or do you think it's bad now? Uh, I, I thought it was bad the moment I saw it. Yeah, but but the, <laughs> thing, the thing is, and I saw it when I was uh, for the first time I saw it. I was in college. I think I was a freshman in college, and I saw it, and I thought it was bad, but. The ideas and the universe, I was enthralled by. Like, in, yeah. interested enough to where I got the book and I read the book and I thought, this book is tight. You know, it's really cool. And then I, I just kept watching the movie. I've seen the movie so many times. Every time I like date a new person, I show them the movie. And when I, <laughs> married, I met my wife and I married her, and like it was like a few months into our marriage that I was like, hey, we should watch Dune. <laughs> and so she's like, okay. And I'm there like explaining everything. And she's like, why do you like this? And like I, I'm like I don't, but like isn't it great? Like I don't know. Um, so do I'm, I'm the exact opposite. When I see like you know corny or like weird stuff like that, I fucking gravitate to it more. Like the Labyrinth with fucking David Bowie, I fucking love that movie, and I don't know why that movie <laughs> is so freaking amazing, and I have no idea why. It's fucking Jim Henson puppets, David Bowie. And a fucking like weird ass practical effects in world, but that movie just has like a special place in my heart. For yeah, and like a child Jennifer Connelly, it's like insane. That movie exists. <laughs> yeah, I always get her confused with Demi Moore. Like I, I was like, oh. oh, this is Demi Moore when she was younger, but I can, no, I can it's see that. some other chick that kind of looks like each other. Yeah, yeah, I, I can see that. Um, so definitely Dune for like you use like you said the desert planet and uh, uh, they have like spice in Dune, and here I kind of mentioned like in the first one I kind of mentioned Fisk, like Fisk is a drug, um, which mm-hmm. I know like Fisk spice kind of has the same sort of like uh, tonality. Okay. Um, I watched a lot of uh, like I like I love Futurama, I love Cabo yes. Bebop, um, okay. so I took a lot of inspiration from those. Cabo Bebop probably especially. I mean, the guy's a bounty hunter, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Cabo Bebop is all bounty hunters. Okay. Um, not so much sci-fi, but yeah, kind of, uh, Mad Max. I love Mad Max. And like, I feel like Mad Max is one of my biggest inspirations for everything I do, not just these books. Um, and yeah, the, the, those, those would be like the sci-fi and like the Terminator and all that, like let, those sci-fis are also cool. Um, and obviously Star Wars, everybody's been inspired by Star Wars. I mean, I don't mention it, but yeah, because it's like, it's so cliche. Oh, Star, I love Star Wars. Yeah. Everybody loves Star Wars back then. Now it's like very touch and go yeah that's that's immediately what i thought it's like bounty hunters space you know just the the aspect of traveling through space 
when I first think of that, I connected to Star Wars. I know there's some people that connected to Star Trek. Star Trek's a little bit different, whereas, like, with Tank McGregor, it's it's Tank with his robot Jensen, and they're traveling through space. It's, like, small parties, whereas Star Trek is just, like, a fucking massive ship, and it's, like, multiple people are controlling shit. Yeah, so Star Trek. That's why I connected it to Star Wars. And, and Star Trek is definitely also a, a inspiration, just the idea of, like, crew and stuff. I mean, like, the very first word of the first book is, like, space, like. Like in Star mm-hmm. Trek, they always like space, the final frontier. Yeah, and that's actually a line in the first book: space, the final frontier. But then I take it, take the piss out of it, and like subvert it, and like make a joke out of it, you know. So I kind of call attention to the to the reference, but I just take it my my own way. Where do you come up with like the jokes and the dialogue? Or do you have help with that, or is that just like all you? It's all me, man. I mean, like every now and then somebody will say something and I'll like, oh, that's pretty funny. Can I use it? And I'll ask him for that. And like every now and then, like in in the second book, uh, there's a few things. There's like a line or two that like Mark came up with just because he said something like, oh, it'd be great if like Tank McGregor went to like the school of cosmetology, etiquette and bounty hunting. And I thought that was really funny. Like, oh, there's a school of like etiquette and bounty hunting. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's going in the book. You know what I mean? Um, but for the most part, I'd say like 99% of the time, it's, it's all me. It's just like things that I find funny and it's just a matter of like writing it over and over and like iterating on like the jokes and just things sometimes that I would say in everyday life without expect, like not thinking they were funny. And my, my, my wife would, uh, uh laugh or my coworkers would laugh and I'm like, Oh, okay. I get, I jot that down. Like, that's kind of funny. And uh, then I try to make it a, a way to fit it into a story and narrative, you know, and, just like, you know, just like that. Just come up like random things in life. I, I get it. I do the same shit. I have two of like my closest friends, and we argue about like politics and just like random shit all the time. And a lot of the shit that just comes off the top of my head in like the heat of battle when I'm like super angry i'm like yo that shit was fly like let me write this down and make like a piece of content on it later like i just did that for um the little mermaid shit because my two friends they're like oh why'd they make the little mermaid black and shit like that it's woke and then i'm like who the fuck cares it's like yo there's way worse shit that they were doing than fucking making the little mermaid black and you guys are worrying about it and i was like yo they fucking made chris evans buzz Lightyear. y'all to hear y'all fucking complain about nothing and then I'm just thinking of all this shit, and I'm like, yo, I need to write this shit down, and then I fucking create a piece of content out of it. Yeah, dude, it's like you guys didn't give a shit about The Little Mermaid before you saw this. Like, why do you care now? Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's, it's it's insane. Yeah. Yeah, and I always want to find something that I could flip and make it so it's not necessarily about, like, because I don't care. Like, I understand why people don't, you know, want characters to be race swapped and i also understand why people do want it so i always want to take a situation and then flip it on its head and then have people either like entertain laugh or really think like yeah why do we really give a shit about the little mermaid when we didn't care about all this other shit and this other shit should make us mad too it's just like yo it's just that that's a hot topic right now that's it yeah yeah i feel like people love to be offended and these things are really easy to like grasp onto and make a big deal out of i have really couldn't care less when think when people are uh race swapped but i also see like you said i see the 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 both sides i see why people would want things the way they grew up in their childhood and it affects them to see something change because suddenly they're losing their childhood and i see why like little girl little black girls would love seeing a black ariel you know like it, i see both sides completely and ultimately they're 
non, they're nonsense arguments, like, I mean, our problems that don't really matter in the long run, you know, but there they are. At the same time, I feel like there's this thing in Hollywood where, like, um, they, 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 they like race-swapping characters, and people always get angry, and they do it anyway, but, like, I feel like they would never race-swap Black Panther. You know what I mean? I know that's, like, the yeah. argument... Like, I, I wouldn't want to race up Black Panther either, but, I mean, I, I feel like, I don't know, isn't, like, it all fair? Is it all fair game or is it none of it fair game? You know what I mean? I, I mean, I feel like, and don't quote me on this, but as far as, like, race swapping, you have to race swap a character where it doesn't, like, really matter to the storyline. The thing with T'Challa is, is he runs the most powerful, richest, amazing empire in Africa. Yeah. So it's tough. Like you can't really make a white person, you know, that like the whole thing about Black Panther is that the Africans in this specific area, which is Wakanda, kind of separated themselves from the world. So like it's tough to do that. Whereas like you'll have a character like fucking Tinkerbell, who's a fucking fairy. She could be white, Chinese, man, whatever. It don't matter. Like the race or ethnicity isn't necessarily you know, driving the storyline of Tinkerbell. It's the same thing with the Little Mermaid. Um, now, there's some people that are like, oh, the Little Mermaid, the story originated in blah, blah, blah. And it's like, all right, cool. You know, I understand it. But at the same time, it's a fucking mermaid. Mermaids aren't real. Um, you know, they're, they're an actual fictional creature. It's not like it's a human. It's about a creature that wants to be a human. She's half fish. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah you know, absolutely right. You're, you're, you're upset about her skin color, but her fucking fins are or purple or green or whatever. It's like, yo, gee, this ain't real. So, yeah, I think the thing that that at least African Americans, I can speak for us, is that in America, when they have made movies based on fictional or time pieces, and they just race swap it just because we're not gonna fucking hire minorities to be in these fucking movies. We want it to sell. Like white people run everything. So and you know whatever that was the time period. So I'm gonna have a white person as Cleopatra. I'm gonna have a white person as as this Native American. I'm gonna have white people as this person who's a, a predominant figure in Asia and China, J- J- Japan, or whatever it is. Because majority of white people are going to see these movies, and of course other minorities are, are watching it. But that's not the main demographic. But as time goes on, as more things become equality, all of those movies that Hollywood has made, you kind of have to answer for them now. Because now it's like, all right, cool. You guys have done this throughout all the years. And it's like, we ain't spending our money for it now. So now Hollywood's trying to correct themselves. And maybe as they correct themselves, they're going overboard by saying, all right, cool. Now we're going to make all the cool people that were white. Now we're going to make them different nationalities. And, and yes, that's us like apologizing, like making it good. It's like when you, I don't know, have been not treating your wife right. And now all of a sudden you want to go over and beyond and you want to buy her flowers every two seconds and you buy her $5,000 jewelry and it's like you're trying to get on her good side again and you overdo it. It's yeah. th- That's exactly what Halloween's doing right now. Yeah, they're overcompensating. Yeah, yeah, I believe it'll correct itself over time. It's like, look, in the indie space, it's like uh, sooner or later, Hollywood always runs out of ideas because Hollywood is not creators. Hollywood is and don't get me wrong there are some creators in hollywood but majority of hollywood is just execs execs saying hey how can we get ips that make money eventually marvel star wars star trek all of this shit is going to come down to hey what's the new shit that we can get and that's when they're going to be start looking at 
creators that are in the indie space that now they can start to create shit. That's how you get a Walking Dead. That's how you get a, a I don't fucking know, but you you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah no, you're absolutely right. I I guess. I mean, yeah, dude, like if it's in service to the story, it makes sense to uh, uh, keep races the same and all that. I mean, I, you're absolutely right. Did you see, um, I just saw this like ad for The Little Mermaid, speaking of which, and they showed like a scene where The Little Mermaid is with all her sisters, like all of King Triton's daughters, and they're all completely different races. And they're like, yo, King Triton got down, man. Like he has a bunch of big yeah. <laughs> He, he, he did and it's like yo it's, I, all right cool i get it it's like you're trying to make this appeal to everybody i think one of the one of the things is like yo like when you're prejudging or judging these content ask yourself is it really because you care or is it because they're fucking with your nostalgia button i feel like that's what's really getting people upset is we don't like fucking change which is why i said hey fuck that new t titans go I miss the old Teen Titans, but in all actuality, it's like you know, Teen Titans go. It's it's whatever. It's for the it's for the new generation. It's for the kids. Same thing with Cowboy Bebop. People hated the Cowboy Bebop Netflix series. I thought it wasn't that bad. I wasn't the like the most major Cowboy Bebop anime fan. Like I watched it when it was on Adult Swim. It was cool, right? It wasn't my favorite one. I was waiting for like um, Yu Yu Hakusho and, and and all other shit. But like Cowboy Bebop. What, what was cool, but I thought the, the the Netflix series was, I thought they put effort and money into it, but a lot of people think differently. Yeah, that's a tricky one because they were pretty accurate to a lot of things, but they kind of got the characters wrong and in a weird way, they kind of turned everybody off. It wasn't even a race thing, like because I thought Jet was fucking excellent in the show, like he even sounded like the cartoon, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Same with Faye, or maybe they were upset that Faye wasn't like a fucking like wearing a swimsuit the entire time, you know? Um, I don't know what I, I didn't finish that show either. Like, there were some episodes that really just kind of took it their own way, and they made like Vicious, which is the, the main antagonist, which is great. Really, he's really scary in the cartoon, and he's like, oh, yeah. something to be feared. In the show, they made it so that he's kind of like this whiny guy that has like higher ups and he's got to answer to them and he's afraid of them. And it's mm. like, uh, this guy, uh, he doesn't seem like that big a deal, you know? Um, I, I, so, guess, I so, can definitely see that. Yeah, things like that are what bothered me about it. Um, but that's like in, in the Aladdin live action. Like, remember when we watched Aladdin when we were kids? Jafar was fucking menacing, like yeah. scary. Yeah. This Jafar, I felt like I could fucking, like, go in there and shoot the fade with him and beat him up. Like, he was not scary at all. His voice wasn't menacing. Like, nothing about he him seemed was, like, he, was, seemed like he was our, Yeah, he seemed like he was our age, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yo, this ain't Jafar. Like, I don't know. This is fucking... Never mind. I don't it, was like, it was like some rapper they chose. I don't even know, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was not scary or anything at all but you know i can understand that in cowboy bebop but like again like that's healthy critiques of projects it's not just saying throwing terms like woke throwing terms like race swap it's like was the movie good though did you even watch the movie yeah yeah. i'm hearing little mermaids doing numbers i don't fucking i didn't see it because it's not for me my kids are two i'm sorry my kids are three and one they're not old enough to sit in the movie theater um, I don't even think they're old enough for like a live action yet, but I'm gonna watch it uh, eventually. But again, you know, it, it it is what it is. Yeah, man, definitely. I like how this turned into a bashing of Disney movies. Yeah, I know, I know, and I love Disney movies, man. I, I don't wanna, I don't wanna throw too much shade on Disney. You know, it's, I it's mean, they're they're okay. I feel like they used to be better. 
I feel like Disney right now is too concerned with, like we were just saying, like demographics and checking boxes uh, instead of making an actual good movie. I mean, they, they care more about the bottom line than, than actually. I mean, like go back to like a few years ago when they were making that movie John Carter of Mars, which they just called John Carter. So that was going to be yeah. Disney's Star Wars, man. It was like their sci-fi adventure, yeah. and they put a lot of money into it. And what happened is they ended up not really marketing that well and kind of like putting it like under, throwing it under the rug and not really even supporting it that much. And you're like, I wonder why Disney put all this money into this property and they didn't even support it. Oh, well, it turns out they were right smack in the middle of buying Star Wars. Hey, if we're going to have Star Wars, why would we want to care about like even like shepherding this one? Fuck this. Let's like focus on Star Wars. We're going to have make millions off of this. And they went, they I saw that movie and I'm, I, I don't even remember that shit. Like, you just mentioned that. I'm like, who the fuck is John? I'm thinking John Carter like it's a football move here or some shit like that. Are you um, thinking of Coach Carter? Oh, there, there, you, go. there <laughs> you go. Basketball. Samuel Jackson. All right, cool. Yeah. Is that Disney? That's no. not Disney, right? No, that's just, that's just. Remember the Titans is Disney. Yes. That's a good movie. Cool. Yeah, very, very good movie. I remember watching that movie a million times. I feel like between that, Disney definitely had a lot of. Uh, movies like that, those are good movies. Like mm-hmm. those timepiece yeah. where where you can make shit at. Like those are good movies. They don't I, do that I, anymore, I, man. They don't. They don't do standalone movies like that about like a football team and things like that anymore. Now they're all about that franchise money. I mean, they just do movies that set up other movies. Look, I mean, think about it. Like the economy is has been volatile since COVID. You know, Disney's just trying to do a lot of stuff to get in as much money as possible. Like, we see them purging their streaming. They're purging a lot of shit. They're removing a lot of shit. Like, Willow, right? Willow, uh, you watch Willow, obviously, the one from the 80s. I saw it in the 80s. Yeah, I didn't see the show. The show, me and my wife watched it. It was not good. I'm not going to say it's not good because, oh, it was diverse and shit like that. No. I'm going to say it's not good because the fucking writing and the acting is not fucking good. Why would they purge it? Like, what do they lose by leaving it on there? So, what I was reading in an article, fucking don't quote me. I mean, whatever. It's not like they're going to see this anyway. But basically what happens with the streaming apps, and this is also why there's the writer's strike right now. It's because it has to do with royalties, and it has to do with them paying it out. Right? I'm paying... $8.99 $8.99 for streaming. That means I'm paying $8.99 for like a thousand different pieces of content that I probably watch like 0. 0.005 of it. So if everybody's spending $8.99, that means that, you know, if D- Disney has uh, 100, uh, 100 million subscribers, that's 100 million times $8.99. But then what happens is as you start to lose subscribers, which is what's happening to Disney Plus, that means you still have to pay out all of the whatever royalties, whatever contracts you have for all of those pieces of content until you remove it from your streaming platform, then you don't have to worry about paying them because it's not on there. Right? Yeah, that makes sense. So so that's why Disney's like removing shit is because hey, we're losing subscribers, we're losing money, and we can't really dish out all of these royalties and shit. And if we canceled you and you're not getting a second season and nobody's really watching it, it's like you're out of here. And, you know, it sucks because streaming was supposed to be a way that you could just keep shit up and watch it forever. But 
as more companies lean into streaming, they got to figure out ways that they could become profitable too, which again, it does make sense. Like if we're looking at it as a business wise, if I'm looking at it as like a fan or, you know, just a regular person, it's like, yo, what the fuck? Like, just leave it up there. Like you guys are fucking greedy, money, money hungry. But at the same time, it's a corporation. Yeah, no, absolutely right. That makes sense. Yeah. And all that's alleged, allegedly. I read a couple articles and saw a couple of videos. But no, that, that makes sense. Yeah, a lot of uh, writers are fighting over like royalties and stuff. And they, I, I would have just thought that like Disney owned it a hundred percent, so they didn't have to pay out anybody, but they probably have to pay out royalties to the creators. That's why they just no, yeah, it. they they own it. So basically, what it means is like, all right, cool, you you own it a hundred percent. You still got to pay out everybody. Whereas, like, let's say if and Disney doesn't really do this, but I'll use like Netflix for an example. Um, Netflix had the office on their platform. So they're paying NBC a, ch- a huge boatload of money to have the office streaming on Netflix. And then when they pay it to NBC, NBC dishes out that money between the cast, crew, whatever, however they want to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then NBC's contract with Netflix goes up. Netflix has to remove the office and now the office is on NBC's app because they have their own streaming. So now they're making more money per stream, per dollar, whatever it is, because now it's on their app. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Cool. Cool. Interesting. <laughs> and I feel I feel like I had this convo with Mark because I'm always asking. I was like, all right, so how do you, you know, broker deals with, you know, the people that have their project on, on the website as far as like digital downloads and, um, you know, actual physical copies. And he kind of broke it down a little bit. I'm not like the IRS. I'm not trying to <laughs> go and tell all of his business and shit, but I just want to get an idea. Yeah. Know, yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, yeah, man. I don't know. Like speaking of the whole Disney thing, I, I just really, I, I get really turned off by the whole idea of them just basically, like I said, like putting it, uh, checking out boxes and stuff and just kind of like, oh, what's going to make the most amount of money? I don't care if like we're all in a recession. It's Disney. Like they have the fucking money, you know, they're, they're just they're just being greedy. The solution here for not just Disney, but everyone is to create content that doesn't cost $200 million per movie. You know, they waste so much fucking money on the wrong things. Um, and they, each movie, these movies are costing $250 million, And they're like, oh, they're considered failures when they make $300 million. You know, no, that movie's a failure because three hundred million is not enough. It's like, yo, three hundred million is a shit ton of money. You telling me it's a failure? There's something wrong with the system when that's a failure. You know, they got to go back to making movies that are like good, solid stories for less than a hundred million, fucking less than fifty million, even. You know, like fucking how much did Deadpool cost? Deadpool was a huge success, not because it made a shit ton of money, but because it cost so little to make. You know, and suddenly everyone's like, oh, yeah. Deadpool, you know, like, and they, what they got from that movie was the wrong thing. People thought that movie made a lot of money because it was rated R. Oh, so now Logan's going to be rated R and now these going to be rated R. It's like, no, bro, like those movies made money and they were good movies because they were well written and true to the characters. Yeah. Yeah. I, I fucking love Logan. Deadpool was cool. Was cool, too. I feel like sometimes when I have too much like jokey joke weird stuff then it kind of like tunes me out a little bit but deadpool was cool i, I um i love the first one mm-hmm. second one was good loved logan uh but what you were talking about so let's kind of like scale this down so you're saying that they should s- stop having these massive budgets shrink it down yeah attention to quality and story or whatever 
and then build from there. I mean, they're inflating. Kind of, yeah, they're inflating. I was these say, let's, let, let's scale it down to you now. Oh. So how do you create your project instead of having like pretty much like everybody do everything for you and like have this massive budget. So then you have to create a kick Kickstarter campaign or whatever, sell X amount to make your money back and then make a profit off of it to then like shrinking it down, getting it low cost. So then you can mark it up, whatever, or make money. How would you go about doing it? Um, you're talking about like in film specifically or in my book projects? No, no. I'm talking about for your, for your comic. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, I've, I've drawn my whole life, so I felt like I could draw. So I, I wasn't dependent on anybody in that sense. I know a lot of people who like want to make a comic, but they're trying to find the right artist and like the right this and the right that. I, I, I didn't want to have to do that. I wanted to do it all myself, you know, and I, I grew as an artist. I grew as a writer because I was doing it myself. And that was I mentioned that I, I come from a film background and film wasn't uh, working out for me anymore because I couldn't get people to help me out. And what attracted me to comics was that I was completely self-dependent. You know, uh, I didn't have to depend on anyone else to just work on it whenever I wanted, uh, uh, put my vision 100% into the pages. The only thing that I okay. did uh, outsource was the colors because at the time I wasn't very well versed in like just color theory. And uh, uh, it wasn't really came naturally to me the what colors would look good and i would try to I would, yeah i would try to color it and it would just look bad and i'm like i don't understand why these look not as good as these professionals you know so i decided to not color it myself 100 yeah yeah 100%. Bro, a good colorist and that sounds like a weird word to say but that's what they are a good colorist will fucking bring your project to life and that's what happened dude like i found the right person michael woods uh who is the colorist of both my tank migrator books and i don't remember how I found him. I think I found him. I honestly don't remember how I found him, but I saw his website. I was on his website and I'm like, this guy, and I'm going to contact him. And I asked him, well, what does he think? Uh, what, what, what his rate is? And I showed him my book and he's like, yeah, I'll do this for you. And we've just grown since then. I mean, he's a, he's like, I consider him a very good friend or a, a really great collaborator. Never seen his face. I've never spoken to him like live action yeah i've never seen his face really i've never spoken to him like even through like zoom or anything it's all been text or email for five years text or email i think we're both equally uh i feel like I, if you're gonna color my book i need to see what you look like it's like yo if you don't put yourself together in real life how could i trust you with my baby it's like yo i need to see what you look like yeah no I'm yeah, i trusted yeah. him Purely on on his skill, and I was like, "This guy is going to color my book because he is amazing." And he, and you can tell how That's much good. he's grown as well as a colorist from the first one to the second one. I mean, even he'll tell me like, "Hey, I feel like I've learned a lot." Um, I mean, he was already an incredible colorist, but he'll tell me like, "I feel like I learned a lot from here to here." You mind if I go back to these and change them? And I'm like, "Yeah, go for it, dude. It's your thing." And you know, he'll he'll do That's it. Good. Yeah. Yeah, some of the best projects that I've read, you have like that solid relationship with the person that does the artwork. Like I did a um, an interview with Mark Reels and Delino, and they're like fucking like they they're like bros, and I'm like that's super dope. Um, another uh, creator, Carla, she created um, um, Luna, and she has like a relationship with her artist. And I told her, I was like, don't fucking lose this artist because this artist is going crazy on these pages. And she's just like, yeah, it's like I, I, I give them the, the script and the vision and I just say, do whatever you want. 
because I don't want to like make them upset or mad or anything to leave me for somebody else. And it's like, yeah, th- those relationships are, are, are solid and key. So you draw or you, you outsource your drawings? I, I draw, but I don't draw. Like, I'm not professional. I don't, I'm not, for my project, I'm definitely not drawing. Nobody wants me to draw for my project. Like, I just draw just for fun. Like, I've drawn, like, a, a couple of, like, my friends as, like, superheroes and shit like that. But other than that, like, I haven't drawn in, in a minute. Like, what I'm doing now is video editing. Like, I'm learning how to edit videos, how to just do different shit, how to bring my personality out while I'm editing videos and and just doing all of that shit, that's kind of what is like my artistic expression right now, which is cool. And I've never really edited videos before I started creating content. Um, So I've literally just kind of like self-taught all of this shit to myself. Nice, man. Right on. Yeah, it's, it's good. And I'm starting to see that this is actually like a super, uh, uh, I don't want to say like, pro- I mean, I guess profitable or just like useful skill because I have people hit me up all the time talking about the video editing and shit. And I'm just like, you know, maybe this is just like, like coming to me easily because like I'm able to do it. But for the same reason that people see that in me, I see that in other people that can draw and color and shit like that or write stories. And I'm like, yo, this shit is awesome. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's what I fucking do. And it's like I just sit at a computer and just type or I sit at a computer and just draw. And I'm like, all right, you know, I'm starting to starting to understand that and see that a little bit more. Yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm a, a video editor by trade, so I understand. And I also kind of self-taught myself. I mean, I've been editing my whole life. Um, that's not what I do for a job now. So it's like, it it helped me in the long run. I like it. I like it. I like it. Yeah. I want to get, I I don't know if I need to get, like, I don't need to get to the level of video editing where I'm like editing for Steven Spielberg, but like for, as far as like YouTube and social media, like I want to be fucking like kick ass. Like I work for a media company now and I don't even do the video editing or like social media. Um, I don't know if we, like, I don't really like look at people's shit. I don't know if we have people who are actual influencers like doing shit, but I know we have like good uh, video editors, but it's like, it's something that I always see in myself as like, yo, I want to be the best fucking social media fucking video editor, video creator, content creator that I can fucking be. It's like, I want to fucking take everybody out. One of the things that I'm thinking about is doing like opening up to internships Mm -hmm. so I could take my knowledge with someone, teach them what I do and then kind of like collab with them. So where they can edit stuff for or with me so I can get more content out. And at that same time, as they start to create their own shit, I'm teaching them all of the skills and all of the cheat codes and all the shit that I've learned. And then also like, if they want to like, you know, leave and go do something better, they can use me as a reference, but I'm kind of like throwing that out there into the universe. So if anybody <laughs> says, hit me up in the DMs. Cool, cool. And um, so now going back, your way around keeping costs down is doing the artwork yourself. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, doing as much as I can myself. Um, but it's funny because I'll keep costs down that way. But then I'll like spend a lot of money in things that don't even occur to me that I'm basically spending money in. Like, oh, uh, the book was relatively cheap to produce. Not, it wasn't really cheap to produce, but it, but it, in the long run, as opposed to what other books might cost for artists and colorists and all that, it was ba- very low cost. 
but whenever I go to a, uh, a comic book convention, uh, I pay out, uh, I, I pay for the booth, you know, I, um, pay for like a nice hotel. And sometimes I'd like take my wife and this last time I took my wife and my dog and it's like, well, the hotel has to be able to house a dog. So it's gotta be this hotel. Yeah. Well, I don't like this one for a dog. So it's gonna be, so I spend up so much money on the hotel. It's like, I have no, um, chance of making back my booth, no matter how many books I sell. And it doesn't occur to me that like, that's a hemorrhage of money that I just like sank in until like much later. Yeah. So, but, but like, again, like I, I, I'm a, I'm a terrible salesman. I'm a terrible, I'm terrible at like the business side of things. I'm terrible about like promoting myself and putting myself out there. But when it comes to like the creation of things, that's what I want to do. That's what I focus most on. That's just everything I want to go back to whenever I feel like, oh man, I'm not a good salesman. I can't do this. And I start feeling the weight of the world on me. I always at least go back to the idea that I can at least always go back to the screen, to the pen and paper and, and just draw and create something and just kind of like lose myself in that. And that'll like calm me down. Uh, no matter how much money I lose. I like it. I like it. Don't say that you're a fucking terrible salesman, bro. If you could fucking get a woman to fucking commit her whole life and existence and future to you, you're a fucking salesman, bro. Oh, she needed a green Don't. card. <laughs> you're a salesman, bro. Like, there you go. It's like, yo, if you could fucking do that, you could get people to fucking buy your book. You can get fucking people to be sold out to you. It's like, remember, it's like, especially in this game, it's like people are going to be sold out to you people are going to be sold out to you in your story and i try to tell that to um all the creators that like hit me up it's like yo like what are you doing on social media you should be using the shit out of social media i love nami Ware. i love what he's doing because he just posts up anything his his videos don't got to be fucking crazy he just posts up him smiling with his book and it has like a caption like yo fucking akira toriyama just fucking hit up my fucking cell phone and said i want to buy it like he just writes the craziest shit but it fucking pops it fucking goes and and now he's at a point where he doesn't need to fund his project and actually i want to set up a a fucking convo with him but it's like yo he's using social media to his advantage and he's been doing that because he had a clothing line um called nami wear that you know he was just uh, just being creative on social media it's like you could figure it out figure out what you're comfortable doing versus what people actually want to see i feel like once you get those two things kind of you know right with each other then you could just fucking create content that you actually like and then people will start fucking you know even more people will know your project yeah man there's a lot of uh it's not a misconception, but there's a lot of people who create with the intention of satisfying as much of an audience as they can. And like, oh, I want to make something that'll sell. And I want to make something that people will really dig. Well, people like superheroes. Oh, people like this. They like that. I'll create something like that. Whereas like I try to create and I think what people should do and a lot of people do this, create something oh, that man, speaks to you, awesome. create something that's unique to you, create something that you want. And the audience will follow. There will be people, you know, we're not all unique snowflakes. People like the things you like specifically. So yeah. um, the audience will come. You just got to find them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got to find them. And I think we could leave it at that, man. Find your audience, man. Right on. Well, Ray, this was awesome, man. This was awesome. Um, like I said, when we had that first convo, I was like, oh, yeah, I definitely vibe with you. I definitely click. Uh, I, I think I didn't read your project at that point. But then when I read it, I was like, oh, yeah, this, this is the guy right here. I see why Lesson on Comics picked him up. But, um, yeah, man, Ray Garza, creator, 
of Tank McGregor. Guys, pick this up on lesserknowncomics.com. He's got issue two out right now. His Kickstarter is, is it live? The Kickstarter is live. Uh, you can. It's called Tank McGregor and the Cosmic Colossus. You can get this book as well as a slew of other rewards from the Lesser Known Comics catalog. You can even get the first one if you didn't pick it up. Um, pledge right now. It is live right now. You can find the link if you go to my Instagram, Tank McGregor Comic. Um, the link is in my bio. That'll take you straight to the Kickstarter. You can also go and read a preview of it right now at tankmcgregor.com. Um, so, you know, if you find those links, you can eventually make your way to the Kickstarter, especially uh, also on uh, lessernowncomics.com. And it shit's girthy. Girthy. I think uh, issue one's like 128 pages. Yeah. You get what you pay for on that, man. But, um, all right, YouTube, we are out of here. Patreon, we're going to hang back a little bit. Um, again, make sure you guys subscribe to the Patreon for exclusive content. We break down the business, nerd talk, social media, all kind of shit. There's a bunch of shit to learn from. And also just fucking hang back. It's like, who doesn't want to hang back extra with fucking dope creators? But I will see you guys later. Deuces.